Good evening, dear listener, broadcasting live from the surface of the sun. We are here for episode 43 of Weekend at Crombie's, as we will be looking at White Dog. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to Weekend at Crombie's. I am Hugh. All I can do for you is to give you another man who will get our tiger to sit on the automobile with a girl in the bikini and see to it that she's not bitten on her finer parts. And my name is James Evans Esquire. You've got a four-legged time bomb. <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs> <laughs> for to um our movie uh which is james's pick um, um movie of july Whoa. is the 1982 movie white dog, white dog. which if you hadn't already guessed does feature a white dog it does feature a, a literal white dog um if, if you haven't already noticed as well uh dear listener uh, it is it is the hottest day that has ever been um and so <laughs> if at some point during the podcast um either Hugh or I, if you or I faint or become quite distant, it's because we, we, we're dehydrated and we've melted away. So we can only apologise for that. I'll tell you how I'm keeping hydrated with a steaming cup of coffee. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, decaf. Decaf. it's decaf. It's obviously but decaf. We're not God, insane. God, it's, it's 20 past eight. <laughs> it's got, we may be living it's on decaf. the edge, but there's limits. <laughs> yeah, but I've got a steaming up cup. I thought to myself, oh, I really fancy a nice hot cup of coffee. <laughs> Not a, not a chilled glass of water. No, no. Anyway, there we go. So let's begin by looking at White Dog. Um, and actually, we did, we did um, make some reference to our uh, last month's film speeches, saying that the credits were, were quite perfunctory and that had two CGI balloons. Mm. Um, they're worse than this. It's literally just like someone typed the credits <laughs> and slapped <laughs> in front of the camera. But um, it's the dark of the night. It's the dark of the night, yes. And uh, um, there was a screech our... of a camera, a smack yes. of... A fender against flesh <laughs> the squeal of a small animal or not so small for um, a, a young not. actress julie sawyer played by kirsty mcnichol um yeah. gets out of a car on a distant abandoned highway and discovers she's run over a very large very white alsatian and mm. um, so she uh, being a, a kind-hearted soul she scoops him up and takes him to the vet yeah. um who... the, the, the vet is a particular particularly heartless yeah <laughs> that has to be said uh, yeah, he literally, yeah, uh, having saved the dog's life, kind of mumbles about how much money shows him um, yeah. and says, well, you don't work for free, do you? Yeah, what, <laughs> what do you do for a living? I'm an actress. And they kind of roll their eyes. <laughs> uh, and then they say, you know, it's basically like your options are take him to the pound, we'll kill him. Or you can you can board him here for like $20 a night or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she basically, she she adopts this dog um, for, for having no other option. Um, <laughs> it's too expensive not to adopt him, basically. So um, so the, the wee pooch comes home and... Um, and and starts to to live his life in in Julie's rather nice uh, Los Angeles uh, yeah. apartment. I, I don't know where they are in Los the Beverly Hills Hills. I don't know the Beverly Hills. Is that what they called? Is are they called the Beverly Hills? They're not called the Beverly Hills Hills, are they? <laughs> 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 I've just I've just thought they're probably just called. There's a place called Beverly, isn't there? <laughs> and they, there's just Beverly, and then there's the Beverly Hills. Is that it? Isn't it the place called Holly where there's a forest? <laughs> I, just, yeah, I don't know. I, I think yeah, it's, it's new information. 
The Beverly Hills. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, we can't give any more information on that. No. And she's probably not living in the Beverly Hills. Um, but she... No. Or Beverly Hills, even. <laughs> <laughs> so she's... <laughs> She's either living, she's either the living in the Beverly of, Hills yeah, yeah, or yes. Beverly Hills. We don't know which. The elevation of Judy's flat is one of the least important things <laughs> of the story. So well, I don't <laughs> know. There is a point at which the dog leaves the, the apartment and goes down either yeah. the Beverly Hills or yes. into Beverly Hills. <laughs> but not by parachute. <laughs> no. <laughs> she, she certainly doesn't need oxygen. So we know we can establish that. She is, I mean, yeah, she's she not a, so high. Yeah, she's, yeah, not she's, not a, she's an appropriate height to live. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she is. <laughs> but um, she again. She has a boyfriend who, uh, who I believe his name is Mister Exposition, because on their first <laughs> conversation, as they're putting up missing dog posters, literally tells presumably his girlfriend of some time, "Look, Julie, you're a girl who's living on her own. You're an actress on her own in the Beverly Hills." He's um, quite stilted, isn't it? It's yeah, very yeah. on this. Basically, we establish she, she's on her own, and she actually she she likes to have the dog as company um, and as protection, um, which is very uh, quickly borne out. Um, indeed. In a scene, so what happens is. Uh, and this also needs describing. Julie's asleep in her bed. Um, the dog is also asleep, but in front of the television, where presumably he was watching a World War II movie, yeah. um, which is still on. That's I think that's your first flag. Is yeah. the dog likes watching <laughs> World War II movies? <laughs> And it looks really calm and relaxed as well, as if to say, "Yeah, this is it. This is the this is the shit." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then again, a, 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 an assailant um, breaks into Julie's in house and, and assails her. Um, the dog yeah, is indeed, obliv- indeed oblivious as you would expect. The dog's oblivious to all this until basically yeah. Julie, um, with a, a technique. Um, much praise in Weekend and Crombies, kicks her attack with the bollocks. <laughs> and he yells out, he gives out a yell, which alerts the dog to danger. Whereupon he he, he rises from his reverie and and basically, for, for better of a word, kicks the living hell out of this piece of safety. He really like, does. He just goes at him. He, uh, he, yeah. he, he beats the crap out of him until he, he this assailant runs out of the, the room, runs out of the house. Then the dog... In a very jumps Bruce Willis style, jumps Smashes through the window, through the window, through the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, onto him. Like goes. It's about four. Oh, there's two stories, isn't it? Four yeah, stories. Yeah. It's not that so, big house. It's two stories. If you jump through a glass window and fell two stories. I think you'd know about it. You wouldn't you be would, in a condition would. to manhandle and suppress a grown man, no. which this dog does. So, um, kudos to this dog. What a lovely dog he is. How, what could possibly? <laughs> <laughs> so the dog has protected Judy with his with his fierce savagery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, you you could you could say his protective nature. Couldn't exactly. You? Yeah. Um, that's on entirely, this occasion. <laughs> on this occasion, yes. So he did be protector. Um, and and so on. So um, she then rewards him by feeding him. It's like a, a yeah. vegetarian bagel. And I will. I'm, yeah. I'm going to put a pin in this moment. Is that this dog? is almost never fed dog food from a tin. People yeah. are usually feeding him hamburgers. Well, or, even like, or a mushroom burger, I thought, at one point. I saw it, a very large tomato in there, yeah. But, well, but it's like... Of course it's going to be angry. Yeah, you can't <laughs> feed dog just that thick, doughy buns of a burger. He needs, he needs pedigree <laughs> chum. Yes. He needs meat, yeah. But he also doesn't want to eat a burger. He wants to eat pedigree chum with its marabone jelly. It's like he needs proper meat. It's like everyone no, just I keeps... I feel for it. I thought, no wonder it's bloody annoyed. I know, they don't like good burgers. It's basically just that, that simple bun with a, a dried... Pat, you know, a, pat, a patty in it yeah, yeah there's, there's oh, no lettuce God. there's no I mean, mustard who <laughs> wouldn't turn foul really anyway but um but this attack this attack that white dog does it doesn't yeah. it doesn't it doesn't raise any red flags in julie at all well, or indeed the police who um or, who, or indeed the police who, who just I mean, go lucky attack. Attack. yeah and if yeah and it's a will um and in fact at that point the dog um skips the fence doesn't he, he goes he goes a wandering 
He does, yeah. He goes uh, and and as he goes a wandering, he finds uh, a lorry driver who happens to be black. Um, yeah. Who's and... about to who's about to light an enormous cigar, which Indeed. is weird. Which... You don't you don't see too many lorry drivers, you know, smoking a Havana cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think maybe that is unusual, but he probably doesn't deserve the death penalty for it. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I suppose but, not. If I was that dog, I'd be thinking, no, it's bad for you. I'll tell you what else is bad for you. Me! <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only we could have had the internal monologue of you doing the dog. Like, it was, look who's talking now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the dog does indeed um, a, a savage and attack this this lorry driver, who then crashes lorry into what was like a very 80s clothing shop, which was understandable because it was made in the 80s. Um, yeah. and so, it's a very 80s looking truck. Yeah, well, it's the 80s. I suppose it's you can't really you, you can't really pull the front for saying it looks so 80s. <laughs> no, it, it was both made and set in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, I don't know why I'm so surprised. <laughs> we are really nitpicking now, aren't we? <laughs> Uh, so, but the, but the dog does the dog actually have an name? I keep calling it White Dog. No, it's just called White it's Dog. Just called White Dog. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So the, the dog comes home um, covered in blood, not his. Um, so um, Julie's like, "Oh, you hurt? Oh, you're back!" And gives him a big old cuddle, and he's quite nice again. Um, so nice that she takes him to her next acting gig, where she yeah. and a friend of hers uh, <laughs> are, are playing basically stewardesses. Um, on like on a on gondola a, or something. On a gondola, which just has a green yeah. screen behind it. Um, and oh, guess guess what? Her friend is black. Indeed, but this is not immediately apparent until they turn around and and look out over an imaginary Venice, um, because she's brought White Dog on the set, and then White Dog perks up immediately and then leaps up into this gondola and pounds her friend and starts chewing away at her. Which I mean, it's savage. The, and there's a few <laughs> things that we should make it here. Julie, as a dog owner, you'd think the first thing you do is you know, you grab hold of the your dog's collar yeah. and try. And she just sits and stares, yeah. which maybe she's in shock, but uh, yeah. is, is is poor. Was anyway. Secondly, um, we later see her friend who again. Some other people did pull this dog off. Um, her friend is kind of in hospital with some bandages around her um, and is remarkably chill about the whole thing. She's, she's, going, she's remarkably forgiving. Yeah, she, she doesn't report the dog to be destroyed. Uh, she mm. um, she says things like, oh, I wonder what spooked the dog. It's so strange. And I'll just wind back a bit. In the moment of this attack, we don't see everything, but we do see some bloody chunks ripped out of this poor woman. It's like she, she <laughs> yeah. isn't just a little bit scratched. The dog has eaten parts of her. <laughs> Yeah. Well, she's in she's in hospital. This isn't a yeah. minor attack. This is a full blown savage. Yeah. And so she's like, see, back. It's like it's, it's all chewed up and bloody. And it's like she's like, yeah. ooh, that's a bit. I was a bit unfortunate. Yeah. Let's, let's hope that doesn't happen again. <laughs> uh, yeah. So at this point, I think Julie has is cottoning on to the fact that the dog might have a bit of a problem. Um, yeah. But still, st- I mean, at this point, I would I would be thinking ah, it's probably time to take the dog to the pound. <laughs> You know, Julia. Julia mean, has in fact been to the pound before when she was looking for white dog yeah, when he first disappeared. And she she sees how they dispose of dogs if no one collects them. It's it's it's. I mean, you don't actually see it, but the 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 uh, the intonation is quite stark. A dog is basically put in this massive it's, incinerator. Was it incinerator? I thought like it was a gas chamber. Oh, it could be a gas chamber. It's, it's, it's not. It's it not good either. Whatever it is, it, you know, a door closes and the dog is like squealing behind it. Yeah, I also like how the pound, um, it doesn't like being called the pound. It's like, are you the pound with the animal shelter? <laughs> yeah, are you also the said. pound? Yes, we are. <laughs> are you also the pound? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they say, the pound owner is very specific. I mean, it should be great fun at parties. What do you do? I work in animal shelter. You mean the pound? I mean the animal shelter. <laughs> this is James Evans calling from the future. Are you set in the 80s? Yes. Were you also filmed in the 80s? Yes. <laughs> I would also like you to begin every conversation with this is James Evans calling from the future. 
<laughs> I might do that now. <laughs> See, the only thing is, I, I'd do that to my mum and dad, but it would utterly befuddle them. <laughs> uh, my first answer would be, what's the lottery numbers? Or just hang up. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's that's like, true. That's, you'd spoil it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I don't care who the president <laughs> is. I want, I want the lottery numbers. Yes, who's the president? Yeah. Um, but... Um, so again, basically now, what are we in? Forty minutes? We get to the actual plot bit because we've all this yeah, has been lead up. You're right, and it's um, not necessarily clear at the moment that the dog has anything against black people necessarily because he's also yeah. attacked a white guy. Yeah, although we will say that um, the the cinematography has done a pretty good job. We'll come to the style of of kind of shots of the dog is eating. Yeah. Because yeah. for the, because basically, with all due respect to the dog, it's a dog. Um, yeah. and the fact that they've managed to shoot it in a certain way that you think this dog's going to go off one way in a minute. Yeah, it's, it's, like, very, it's, it's very stress-inducing when you see the dog's teeth and it's gnarly. Oh, yeah. it's, not, yeah. just, not just the teeth, it's like the camera angles too. It's yeah. like it, it's the, you, it films it like you know the dog has clocked something and it's plotting <laughs> yeah. evil. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But so so Judy's, uh, again, Judy's solution to this is not to take it to a dog handler, but to take it to, to I guess... Um, he, a supplier of cinematic animals. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a business called basically it's a business called Noah's Ark, run by a man yeah. called Carruthers, and they get animals for movies. They have all sorts of animals, yeah. but I guess they have to break and train. You know, if a movie wants a tiger, they break a, a tiger. Well, well it, I mean, it, in fairness, in fairness to Julie, it, she doesn't just take it to the first circus movie animal place that she finds. She didn't just drive around and go, oh, there's one, that'll do. She's having a conversation with her, with um, Basil Exposition, her boyfriend, <laughs> whose real name is Roland Grail, yeah. by the way. Who knew? Um, and she he he is basically saying, "No, it's dangerous. You've got to get, you've got to shoot the dog. Get it and shoot it. If you don't do it, I'm going to call the police." And he yeah. touches the phone, and the dog goes. Rrr, rrr, yeah, so Roland Grail also white. So um, yeah, and, but, yeah, but, yeah, but so basically, the, the dog the dog is able to understand basically battle expositions tone and yeah. intent by picking up the phone yeah exactly but then no julie's not having any of it she thinks but there must be someone who can because they've established at this point he's an attack dog but he's, he's an attack a... dog yeah but but what i'm not clear on is how does basil exposition really truly know you know i mean like other than the fact that it's attacked a few people but an attack dog is a very specific thing isn't it so it's, a, it's a, a dog that is trained to attack people or attack things and it does um, what it says on the tin it does what it says on the tin but he's he's adamant this is an attack dog and you've in, got to in, in fairness you, you, i suppose you, it does you, do that doesn't it he, yeah he has yeah well, let's look at a colleague we don't even care about the burglar it's it's what he did to a colleague i mean with with, with dogs you pretty gets get one chance it's not like yeah. well let's just hope he doesn't eat anyone else because then he'll really be in trouble <laughs> like, but but her point her point then is yeah. that she feels he he must be able to be retrained from yeah, an attack it, dog into an order. Programmed and so, programmed. yeah, she is she's found out about this uh, this place where they train animals. Yeah. Um, and so she's inquiring about whether Carruthers, the owner of, um, is it called Noah's Ark? Noah's Ark, uh, yeah. Yeah, whether Carruthers is aware of an individual yeah, who could yeah. do this. And of That's course, true. it just so happens... Well, let's get Carruthers first. So she meets yeah. Carruthers, who is again played by Burl Ives, who, or you can only imagine, is a larger-than-life gentleman, um, yeah. who has a, again a vast experience in handling all types of animals and hates R two D two. These are the establishing facts. One of my favourite scenes in the film. I mean, I wonder how much it must have cost to get the rights for that poster. Well, I think it's fair use and everything because, <laughs> oh, because well, once again, this this again sets it in the eighties. Basically, Carruthers is um. I don't is, mean sets it in the eighties. Stop saying sets it in the eighties. No, I mean like I mean it stamps it firmly <laughs> in the eighties because because he is getting wiped out by um the star wars franchise basically yeah. saying robots. no one wants animals anymore they want robots then he picks up one of his hypodermic syringes and flings <laughs> it at this cardboard cutout of r2d2 saying he's the enemy yeah 
I like what I really want to happen is is uh, a long lost footage of Samuel Fuller, the director, describing how he set the film in 1981, <laughs> <laughs> even though it was made in 1982. What I would truly like is the fact if they couldn't get rights to it and therefore they had to get a very similar but not quite R2-D2 prosthetic. Yeah, yeah. It's like, look at that. That's Mr. Robot. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Dustbin Robot. R2-E2. Oh, nice. Oh, no. Yeah, if you, if you want an, an image of uh, Carruthers or Burl Ives, think of a fat Orson Welles in his fat days. <laughs> I, I do not know Burl Ives. He's, he was a very big theatre actor. Um, a huge theatre actor. I think you probably know him more if he's if he's very he's very uh, well known in America. Less so here because he was he was no he wasn't Perry Mason. Wasn't he Perry Mason? No, he wasn't. That was um that was Raymond Burr. That was Raymond Burr. Not I got my Burl, Burl Ives. Burr. I mean, oh, that's my Burl and my Burrs. No, no, uh, Burl Ives. He, he's famous in America predominantly for being um, on a christmas show which is repeated very regularly every year in, in america it's, you know it's a bit like the the breaker morant in australia it's shown every christmas so everyone knows who, who every, year, is. every year at christmas yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was also i think he was also the big daddy of uh, cat and hotton roof yeah he, yeah he was being, being, yeah, that's of course right. destined to be the big daddy yeah nonetheless um so carruthers again uh, so he, he well, he basically actually it's, it's quite interesting because he's um he's very jovial and kind of you know hail fellow well met and he kind of he shows Julie look at this hand this hand was the hand in true grit that reached oh, yeah. into the rattlesnake this where this hand helped the Duke win the Oscar um and all this kind yeah. of stuff so he's very do, do jolly. you remember that scene do you remember that scene Julie she's like yes <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I was almost tempted to go back and see is it possible that it could have been yeah. Bill Ives' hand <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe. <laughs> Um, or somebody's hand um yeah. but uh so yes so um but it all changes once they get to the meat of the matter and he realizes he's talking about an attack dog because he's like his face just goes ashen and he yeah. talks about a friend of his that he knew really well who was an animal trainer who had a dog for eight years who loved him and fished with him and, and slept next to him and all this kind of stuff and then one day that dog just tore out his throat and he yeah. goes that yeah. was an attack dog you can't he change goes, an attack dog he, he goes a bit mo he goes a bit um captain ahab doesn't he yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah really. but, he, but he's, so we're left in no isolation that you know an attack dog is no good thing goes, no you, you can't fix an attack dog you know, best, best yeah. put him down. Best, best thing is to get have him put down. Or he says, "I'm not, I'm not touching. I'm not going to do it." So they, they lead him outside, and um, one of the workers on Noah's Ark. Luckily, also, one of the workers. No, 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 just no, 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 to be no, black. Yeah, <laughs> not luckily for him. <laughs> no, luckily <laughs> no, for the plot. Yeah, well, no, luck, luckily, um, uh, the the dog is wearing a muzzle because this dog oh, yeah, it sees yeah. this this black worker and goes for him yeah. um, immediately, and then they suddenly the, the worker kind of frees him and goes, "That's not just an attack dog. That's a white dog." And of course, Julie goes, "Because he's a white Duh. dog." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they go no, and then they and they say capital W capital E is a white dog. She then learns that a white dog is an attack dog that's been specially trained to attack black people. Yeah, and actually it has a history of being. It's a real. It's a real thing. I thought is it was it? Just made up. Yeah, I just thought it was just made up for the film, but no, uh, it was used in um, in the southern states of America in the um, the turn of the nineteenth uh, century, um, chasing um, black ex slave. Um, and uh, families, yeah, and used by the that's Ku Klux what, that's Klan. What, that's what the movie said, yeah. But yeah, this, it's true. No, it's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. And used used by the Ku Klux Klan and, and and people like that. Yeah. Because I was yeah. wondering about the, how the reality of that could work. I thought was it a device invented for the film? Because, um, which I was accepting. So I thought you you accept the reality of the film as it's presented. But I no, thought, it's a real thing. Yeah, I thought. Well, I can understand why you'd want to. Again, if you were a, a bad person, why you'd want to have a vicious dog that could attack on command. Yeah. But why would you have a dog that was kind of would be triggered? 
obviously if you didn't like black people that'd be why but just without control because surely you want to control over your your exocet missile dog the fact yeah. that someone would you would just go for it regardless seems a bit reckless but you know what i mean it's like yeah if, if even if you were clueless clan sure you'd want some occasions when you your dog does attack and some when he doesn't but no one was okay i'll take we'll take it as certainly as red but it's a thing for the film um and in fact the worker kind of shows real tears up his shin and goes an old scar saying look i was attacked by a white dog when i was 14 these things are, are you know insane um and as julia's is now reeling from the realization that she has not only a vicious dog but a vicious racist dog um really one of the the actual protagonists of the movie appears um, yeah paul and, winfield and paul winfield who plays a character just called keys um because <laughs> uh, uh, he can unlock the mystery that's why he's called keys <laughs> i've got that now yeah. he is he is also an animal trainer he's basically like the uh, the, the apex of animal trainers apparently he can he can train and break anything well, he's, um, yeah he's like a horse whisper isn't he but just yeah. for animals well a horse is an horse. animal as well <laughs> Well, he's like he's a, like a mechanic if cars animals. were animals yes. <laughs> he's, a, he's a whisperer but he doesn't whisper I mean, he's fact, he's, again Paul, Paul Winfield again is a, is a very notable actor um, who can add a certain amount of clout to the role um, although again as an aside I, I recognised him not from even even if I'd said I recognised him from Terminator as the good detective yeah. that would have been bad enough but no I recognised him as playing the magic mirror in a, in a short run sitcom called The Charmings <laughs> blimey what there was a sitcom in the late 80s called The Charmings, whose premise was basically um, the Cinderella and her, or um, sleeping, Snow White and her, her husband, Prince Charming, have been retransformed to suburban America. And the Wicked Witch is the the crampy, like crampy mother-in-law. Uh, and, and she has a wise-cracking mirror and that was played by Paul Linfield. And it the was... Charmings? It, it lasted... Oh, yeah. once, 1987 it lasted, to yeah. 1988. It lasted one or one or two seasons because it was awful. But I think it must have been showing <laughs> like on Children's ITV during oh, a yeah. holiday. So if something's on every day, you just watch it. You just um, watch it, don't you? Yeah. And I remember that the magic mirror was very funny. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure his, his long and distinguished career is very happy about that. Nonetheless, Keys, um, obviously instantly clocks is also a white dog, but he has a particular interest in this. Partly, I think, the challenge that he can break anything, but also he thinks, he's apparently he's tried this before, this is a pet project for his, because everyone lives to a pet. Yes. People, people are saying, don't go down this again, you know you shouldn't do it. And he says, look, yeah. I'll take holiday, I don't I don't care, I know I've got other responsibilities, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Give me five weeks and I'll break this dog or I'll shoot him. Um, because Keyes' theory is, if he can work on, a, if he can devise a method that can deprogram a white dog and and make it very easy to turn them back to normal, then essentially he's t- he's taken away that power. No one will train white dogs yeah. anymore because they've been broken. He's, he's found the antidote. And that's his entire mission is I want to find the antidote to this white dog because I because then I'll 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 have, you know I'll I'll have won I'll have fought back in the battle against racism. And he he's he's come close on a number of occasions, hasn't he? Twice he has tried, yeah. twice yeah. he has failed, but this <laughs> this third time. Um and so he goes out. He's again. I, I did wonder this. He's wearing an enormous padded suit, as as you would. I mean, I've been in a suit yeah. of armor too, and lets the dog tire himself out. But why is the dog attacking him? Because you can't see anything who's under that at all. It could be anybody in that suit. Maybe just gives him a peek of who's there and lets the well, dog I, go. I suppose in the first instance, what he's trying to do is to tire the dog out, and then what he does is that he he reveals himself, doesn't he? So he takes uh, his he takes the, the helmet off, and he takes the guard off, and takes his gloves off, and he puts his hand there. And, the and of course, then the dog is too tired to do anything. Yeah. Um. And and this this carries on going. Um. Yeah. And and so yeah. So he then this progresses. So as as it's progressing. Um, 
or is it the, the, the dog once again has his own plan so the, the dog is kind of like gnawing through the metal of the cage bit by bit as they're as they're working on their plans uh keys is, is continuing his process julie foolishly feeds the dog again a hamburger um which keys like yells and saying you set me back a week i'm the only one who could feed this dog this dog has got to think he's got no one but me um yeah which is basically the, the, the only the only agency julie has left in the movie she doesn't, she doesn't do a lot more than that other than kind of keep popping she doesn't saying, she's dog sidelined thing. quite a lot isn't it isn't she apart apart from being complicit in the knowledge of the death of another black man but we'll come on to that we'll come on to that yeah um <laughs> because as as this goes on then so yes um so the dog uh, then gnaws through the bars and again works out an escape route he um he not only gets out of his cage he managed to work out that he can because like i said well, he got out of his cage but the electrified fence will stop him and he works out that he can go up on the roof of a lorry and and tip top over and then leap over the fence in a shower of, of sparks and get away i um, mean so credit, he, credit to the racist that trained him <laughs> he's a clever dog <laughs> <laughs> he's a super spy and then um and then we come to again a, a lovely suburban street where again a well-dressed man is walking down the street and comes face to face with the white dog and we pan up and realize that um this well-dressed person is a black man who's in all kinds of trouble because the dog then chases him into a church and and we see we, we just hear the screams and he gets in behind the pews um and we later discover he has absolutely murdered him um well, so how else could he be murdered he, he only slightly murdered him <laughs> Well, he could have, he could have a little nibble, you know. Yeah, he, he... <laughs> he nibble, nibbled to death. Well, if you consider his first victim was kind of killed well, partly that's... by him, partly by driving through the window of a truck, and the second <laughs> yeah, one was yeah. was chewed on a bit and pulled off. This yeah. is the first one where it's kind of like relentlessly, sadistically yeah. Yeah. chomped away, and and well, this, he had time, happened... didn't he? He had time because no one was in the church, <laughs> so he, t- he took his time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like kind of the, the prime suspect thing. He took his time, Gav. God, this <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this one's a bit savage. Uh, and so he does. And then Keys Keys finds him and um, is very distraught and pings him with the hypodermic. So we get him back in the. Uh... Yeah. See, I thought the twist then would be all the hypodermics would be blunt because uh, Corellas has been using <laughs> darts because they make they make mention that saying he keeps blunting these darts. Um, but luckily it's not. He managed to get get the dog to sleep and um, and they bring him back to the truck. Whereupon. It's kind of again. It's they all say this man has been killed, and they yeah. they basically say the police don't know about it. So they're all immediately complicit in the yeah, death of someone. Yeah, this is an odd bit in the film, in the sense that they don't. Re- nothing's reported about the body of yeah. this man in the church. I mean, you presume he's found eventually because yeah. you know that is what happens. But why they don't they don't want to report it because it would mean that the that the knowledge of the white dog would become um more known and so no, I, prevent... think it's because, I think it's because that they would they'd destroy the dog because you would immediately that's what i mean yeah and that would so he wouldn't end. be able to do his reconditioning of the dog always and that's and that's what keys is, is yelling key when they were all yeah. uh, basically they're not arguing really they're just distraught keys yeah. is like saying look i am gonna i'm gonna do this i'm gonna yeah. fix this i'm gonna end this this poison etc um and so i suppose in that principle one man's death isn't as important as what potentially might be a reconditioning of the dog and thereby the stopping of yeah. the attack dog, which I is guess. in fact, which is in fact their rationale, because a little bit later on, when they're all three of them are having dinner, Julie Keys and Carruthers, uh, a state trooper comes in, and everyone's yeah. like, uh, and he says, yeah. "You got, you got directions? Oh yeah, yeah." And they all go, and Carruthers basically and uh, articulate saying, "Look, what we're doing is proper. What we're doing is right. You know, it's no, <laughs> we get sent to jail if we got found yeah. out, but yeah. we're doing the right thing." But it is, it's, it is strangely how it's done because basically. 
it's more like oh he's killed again oh dear rather yeah, than yeah, a man is dead yeah yeah well it's the way that it's described so they're all having dinner and like there's some sumptuous lamb chops that have been um put on the table by keys and then as you say carruthers does this you know we need to be clear here everybody we've done this for the right reasons but we are now we are now in this and we will be in trouble anyway enough about this let's eat these delicious lamb chops <laughs> <laughs> well i'd be absolutely shitting myself <laughs> yeah i'd have lost my appetite i wouldn't be eating lamb chops i'd be being yeah. sick in the toilet bowl yeah it's it's but nonetheless that that, that was the, the point they were trying to get across is that they've, they've kind of they've crossed the line and um but but keys nonetheless perseveres and and he eventually reaches the stage where the white dog will not attack him anymore he will mm. he will um he will kind of run up to him and give him a cuddle yeah. um yeah and he, he demonstrates this by showing his tummy uh i don't <laughs> mean the dog i mean <laughs> i mean key shows his tummy to to the dog and the dog basically just doesn't do anything yeah <laughs> shows his tummy is a very strange way of saying he unbuttons his shirt and reveals his bed chest <laughs> shows his tummy. well he doesn't he doesn't reveal his bare chest he shows his tummy but he's not wearing a vest it is a bare chest i suppose it is but you only see his tummy i think that no, sounds yeah. more more affectionate yes yeah, so that, that, <laughs> no but um i mean here's the funny thing is like um so i mean Carruthers goes, yay, we're, we're fixed, we're done, yippee. And um, Keys is like, I'm not 100% sure. And Carruthers goes, 99, what's the matter with that? It's like, <laughs> well, in that 1% lies a yeah. dead man in a church, Carruthers, so I think you should yeah. care about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Keys basically is making a very good point, saying, look, the dog doesn't attack me because I've spent five weeks with him and cared for him and fed him. He could still kill anybody else. And I was also thinking, like, if you've deprogrammed the attack dog, you know, it's fine if you grow up very carefully and very quietly, but if someone just happens to go past whistling, yeah. that then it goes with, like not everyone can be trusted to stay calm. And, anyway, so he says, "Look, I need another test." Um, and they get they get they call Julie to come over, saying, "We think we've cured him. Can we get the test?" And then Julie gets her own little payoff because all the stickers she was putting up at the start of the film saying, "I've lost a dog." Oh, yeah, She's greeted yeah. at her door by a kindly-faced old man with his two twin granddaughters, saying, "You found our doggy. You found our doggy." She goes, yeah. "It's your dog. Oh yeah." And did you train him? Yes, I did. Yeah, um, one of one of one of my finest. Oh, he goes yeah, to be a white dog, and he kind of he doesn't even flinch. He goes, yeah, one of my finest. Um, at which point, Julie just yeah lets rip at him and starts yelling how evil and, and nasty he is. Which is one point he is evil and nasty. But on the other hand, if she was trying to sway the opinions of his granddaughters, they'll just think that was a crazy lady yelling yeah. at granddad. Yeah, that's um, true. But she kind of jumps in her car and kind of squeals off, shouting, "He's been cured! He's been cured by a black man!" <laughs> And off she goes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so she basically yeah, leaves the the, the ultimate criminal, oh, yeah, who's got all this blood in his hands. Really, it's his fault. Um, with nothing but a, a box of battered chocolates that he brought for her, and and um, a, a flea in his ear. So, uh, but uh, so when we go to the finale of the film, where um, Keys basically gets another another of the workers um, who's black to approach approach the white dog. Um, just saying you'll be fine you'll be fine he's also got a gun in his hand in case it's not fine it, it is again an interesting choice of weapon because it's um it's a it's a, like a wolf of ppk yeah it's and it's like a small gun isn't it it's, a, it's not like a, a rifle you'd use or even a hypodermic to stop an animal it's right. and it's, he's also wearing um kind of like a safari jacket he looks very much like scaramanga he's like he's, yeah, got, he <laughs> he's got a little old handgun and a ppk and he's very refined um but nonetheless um the, the guy goes up and after much tension the dog licks his hand rather than bites it off so yeah. phew we're done yeah. um and then they do the final final test which is basically 
let's have the dog run at keys in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, nothing's scarier than a dog running in slow motion as the wind's blowing his teeth back and everything. And he <laughs> I mean, makes... kudos again to the cinematographer because yeah. <laughs> like, they filmed that well. Yeah, and, and Keyes, you know, as confident as it is theory, still has the gun in his hand because halfway yeah. through the slow motion when he goes, I'd better get the gun, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's not convinced, is he? Yeah, but he should have been because the dog comes up and yeah. he gives him a big hug and that's all fine. Um, And then Julie goes, he's cured, at which point the dog turns to her and starts running at her and starts <laughs> running and Keyes just get the gun out again. Uh, <laughs> but then he hugs Julie and he's like, oh, phew, oh thank goodness. he's all fine. And then Carruthers goes, <laughs> yippee! Yeah. At which point the dog's had enough of this and he, <laughs> and he makes a beeline for Carruthers and pounds on him. So you know, he managed yeah. to topple him and starts clawing and scratching and biting. Um, and so again, Keys has no point. He has to shoot the dog. So puts one in his head. Um, the dog tip, tips over and they help up a very bloodied Carruthers back he to... Was, he was the 1%, wasn't he? He was the 1%. He, they, <laughs> <laughs> it was a, quite a lot of him for 1%. But yeah, yeah they, well, they, they, they help yeah. him stagger back as the dog is left dying in the sawdust. Uh, and thus the film ends. Well, the fil- yeah, the film ends. Uh, the, 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 that final scene where the, the camera pans up, like an overhead view of the dog, higher and higher. It's, um, yeah, it's a very poignant moment as the dog is lying there. Yeah. So that's that. Um and with that, again, as a, I have yet to check the entry in the website, Does the Dog Die? I'm sure it's got a prominent place in it. <laughs> there's, there's a website, people who are doggy sensitive. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I, see, I, I think the dog probably does die. I think yeah. it, I think it's necessary for the film. Um, oh, God. I'm not saying it makes a miraculous recovery. No, no, no. I'm just wondering, it's is like, this film famous enough to actually get an entry in Does it's, the Dog it's Die? Got White Dog 2, The Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> He's had enough of hamburgers. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a bit of falafel. Um, but we reach our conclusion. So um, having having uh, efficiently recapped the plot, we will then come into uh, well, why this was chosen. I'm intrigued. And also some of the themes we can draw from it. So join us after the break. Welcome back. Uh, the sun is lowering, but it's getting no cooler uh, as the conversation <laughs> and indeed the temperature heats up uh, <laughs> uh, for, for our analysis of White Dog. But before we do that, uh, James, could you tell us a little bit about, again, how White Dog fared in the box office and why you chose it? <laughs> well, shall I tell you, first of all, how White Dog fared at the, bo- at the box office? Let's have the numbers. So White Dog cost seven million dollars to make. Not a huge amount, I suppose, in the early 80s, but, you know, not insignificant. And it made the huge total of $46,000 back. So it, it was... a budget of what? Seven million. Oh, my goodness. Um, now, the, in fairness, there's a there's potentially... There's a mitigating circumstance. There's a reason for that, which I'll come on to. Um, but um, let me just describe a little bit about why I wanted to watch White Dog. F- firstly, as, as is befitting... Um, a co-host of Weekend at Crombies. Um, it's been on my list for a long time to watch. I'd never seen it before. It'd been on my list for a long time to watch. And um, I wanted you to experience the joy of White Dog as well. Um, but of course, that isn't enough for a, for a Weekend at Crombies film. Otherwise, you'd be watching Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal <laughs> Ferox, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it had to, there, had to be, there had to be some other reason as well. Um, so 
uh, it ticks a lot of boxes for me. Well, first of all, it's it's a very underseen film, as I think Absolutely. the box office perhaps suggests. I am um, amazed of, the ease we managed to get hold of it to watch as Amazon Prime. Well, it's like yeah, well, the, and the and the reason is is because in, in the last five or six years it has received um, a lot of attention um, by big um, uh, kind of artisan DVD companies who have released White Dog on um, they call criteria. Criterion do a lot of DVD releases. They take they take basically classic and underseen films and get and restore them. And so like this is one of Crumbies, a, then. a bit like Rick and the Crumbies, <laughs> but so actually successful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is a restoration of a film. Oh, okay. uh, and look, when I say that they restore underseen films, they they don't just um, they don't just restore any films. They 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 restore films that they think might have purpose or um interest in okay. kind of current affairs or, or kind of um the kind of societal zeitgeist and stuff like that so white dog was in one of those and for a number of reasons actually the first one is it's directed by a guy called samuel fuller who was a bit of an infant terrible of american filmmaking in the 40s and 50s a very countercultural figure who's done a number of war films korean war films um which are absolutely brilliant which is another reason why i wanted to watch white dog so the two war films that he's done are the steel helmet and fixed bayonets fixed bayonets with james dean actually is in that film uh, but the steel helmet is a very good film and what's different about them is that they are war films that take um, a particular viewpoint they aren't pro-american and in the time that they were made in the 40s and 50s and particularly the steel helmet was made during the korean war and it was a very anti-war film and was very very harshly reviewed and wasn't seen by many people it was it was criticized heavily as being anti-american at the time it takes a view of basically there's a lot of um korean actors in it and it's about a, a prisoner of war and etc etc so he's an interesting guy he's an interesting character in the 60s he moved on to making um thrillers um that had a slightly uh kind of countercultural bent to them so one of the most one of his most famous films is called shock corridor which is set in an asylum a new york asylum about a a, a policeman who goes into an asylum to track a killer and he's actually sectioned himself which is quite interesting it's a very good film um that's probably his most famous film that is quite a well-known film and quite a well-regarded film if you like the kind of genre exploitation kind of um films of that era so how old um, was this guy then in the in the eighties when he? Yeah, so he. I mean, he was. This was his final American film, um, and he. I'm just trying to think when he died. He. he I think he died in the in the mid nineties. So he, I mean, he would have been in his seventies or eighties by that point. Wow. He, you know, he was old, right? He was old, but he 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 made a career out of. He made a career out of. Ch- challenging is probably the wrong word, but. Um, controversial or overtly. Um, overtly kind of in your face ideas if that makes sense he was very keen on um exploitation he was very keen on metaphor and he was very keen on um stories which were simplistic in their output but had complex undertones and i think white dog is a good example of that um so i'm interested in samuel fuller it was co-written by samuel fuller and curtis hansen who went on to direct L.A. Confidential and Eight Mile. So Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very famous, um, very famous screenwriter and director. I mean, he's, he died recently, he died four, three or four years ago. But, um, and The Wonder Boys, I don't know if you've seen that as well. So, oh, you know, yeah. Curtis, uh, you know, Oscar winning, Oscar winning filmmaker and um, screenwriter. And um, yeah, they were big friends, Samuel Fuller and Curtis Hansen. This is one of Curtis Hansen's first screenwriting um, uh, credits. So, you know, it's it's got that about it as well. Yeah. The music's by Ennio Morricone. Oh, yes. So, 
you know that, that I did recognize. You could recognize a Morricone score, can't you? So it's got some it's got some big, you know, it's it's got heft to it. I think yeah, in some yeah. of that regard, um, and it, it it ticks a lot of boxes for me in the sense that the film is it's a let me try try think about how can how I can explain what the what the tick is for me. So it's a it's a film where the director or the screenwriter has a very specific view right and what they do in the film is that they play that view out to its extreme now you don't have to agree with the view and that the director may not may not reveal what the view is until the end right and i think that the film does that at the end it will go on to what that might be but i like films where directors put their either political view or their emotional or social views right out there in front for all to see um that's why i like um i like um william friedkin as a director you know the exorcist um the french connection etc because he's a very he's a very bombastic but overt film director another example of someone who puts their opinions on the film i think is someone like mel gibson now i'm not saying that i necessarily like his films i certainly don't like his politics but I do in I do enjoy the intellectual um hypocrisy in my head, right, when I'm watching a Mel Gibson film, because he's very when I see a Mel Gibson film, I see a very specific viewpoint and I might end up completely well, I do tend to end up disagreeing with it, but I quite like the fact that it's on screen in all its glory. You can defend it or you can disagree with it, but it's all up there. So I quite that ticks my box. For some reason I get I get a bit of a thrill with that. Um yeah. And on top of that, the film made $46,000 at the U- at the US box office. It was actually never released in the early 80s. It had a very limited release many, many, many years later when it was rediscovered and found to be of some social significance. Oh. At the time, it was never released because Paramount refused to release it because they felt that it would be incendiary. Uh, they felt that it was a racist film and they felt that it had no cultural value whatsoever. As a result, Samuel Fuller never made another film in America. He only actually made one other film in in, in France uh, as really? a consequence. And that was the end of his career, basically. <coughs> so wow. it's a Paramount Pictures funded film. Yeah. I mean, um, if Paramount Pictures, the uh, the more likely suspicion is they didn't want to touch it rather than they had great, <laughs> great uh, values. About oh, yeah, it. sure. They it's, didn't want to touch yeah, it. Yeah, they, thought, yeah, they <laughs> thought that it, it was a it, they, it's not that they thought it was a stinker. They thought that it yeah. was uh it yeah, would do damage to their reputation basically and one of the key things on it was that they hired two um they hired two african-american lawyers or um kind of local act activists basically yeah. to be on set whilst the film was being made um the national association for the advancement of colored people and the black anti-defamation coalition they were civil rights leaders okay and it's because there was a lot of controversy about the filming of the film and there was there was a feeling that the film would be um basically racist or incendiary or heavily right-wing in that context okay. one of one of the one of the authors of the recommendation to paramount pictures said you've got nothing to worry about the film is vehemently anti-racist yeah. um the other person said it is a crime against african-americans and it should be banned <laughs> and they really? decided to take the second guy's view yeah <laughs> they know which which one fell which way uh da, da, da. I, I i can't remember i can't remember uh off the top of my head i think it was the black anti-defamation coalition um so yeah so uh, obviously samuel fuller who has a history of films that are anti-establishment yeah. and anti-colonial 
was basically brushed as a racist and was cast out of Hollywood. And actually, I mean, from my own view, watching the film, is the film racist? No, I don't think so. The film deals with racist ideas, but I don't think the film is racist. No, and now you mention it, there's things like certain things in the optics of the movie, in that, for example, um, the dog's only kind of real... um, uh, overt victim like he gets the tracker possibly and the, you know, the actress but the one he actually you know takes down in a kind of a cold-blooded murder um is a very nice suburban street and a very well-dressed black man it's yeah, thinking, yeah. you're thinking this this again come back to it was the 80s he could be yeah. you know kind of like a jive turkey yeah he's, yeah, he's you're not talking down, about a crack you're not talking about crack addicts you're not talking about down downtown streets you're not talking about jive turkeys you're talking about a, 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 a businessman going about his business very nicely dressed possibly going to church yeah yeah um and yeah it's it's I mean, again, probably come to all the kind of themes of that. Yeah, the fact he is murdered in a nice street in a nice church and all this kind of stuff. It's yeah. it's it's very different from, let's like, say, he was he picked on a gang member who was who was you know hanging around a burning oil drum in the inner city or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there there was that. But again, I suppose kept the character of Keys too. Again, like I mentioned he looks like James Bond. He's a uh, he he's yeah yeah he's he's very academic and well spoken and yeah and the is. most I mean, cerebral he, there's of a point all the in it where yeah he's a cerebral character. And there's a point in it where he's um at the dinner table you, you find out that his mother and father were anthropologists yeah. um and he decided not to go down the academic route to make a difference i'm quite sure what the difference is that he's made but he says he wanted to make a difference i don't know with animal training i mean it's a very yeah. specific difference but there we go but i think again one can only assume it's because of the, the white dog thing because the only reason you know you'd go into taming tigers and breeding cockatoos if yeah. you wanted to make a difference in the world was so you'd have the experience <laughs> and the wherewithal yeah. to have to find and train white yeah. dogs the opportunity to see that um yeah so i mean and the film the film was beset also by production problems even before the the debacle and the controversy about it being withdrawn from circulation so um it was originally intended to be made by um roman polanski but um he he was he was um otherwise engaged (laughs) yeah so at the point and actually he, he was about to start work on it when he was arrested for rape so you know so he he withdrew the the author it's based on a, an autobiographical novel called the white dog by a guy called romaine gary whose wife was um genie seberg who's quite a famous kind of activist oh, in Jean america seberg, was it yeah yeah oh, no. yeah yes yeah but um just again just before filming they both killed themselves oh my God. <laughs> yeah so basically fuller took over and um he 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 changed the script slightly with curtis hansen to be the book is much more i've not read the book but from what i've read the book is much more about keys's struggle with the dog and the film is much more about the internal struggle of the dog um now i'm not sure how successful that is per se it might come onto one of the themes here but that was one of the implications of changing it now none of that matters none of it matters in a choice of, of weekend at crombies if it wasn't a complete flop yes and it was so all of those things mean it's a good weekend at crombies film i think absolutely god i mean if you're going to put a recipe of how a film could become a flop, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's an everything thrown at it. It's, and I think a lot of it is unfair. Now, you know, we'll yeah. come on to what we think about the film, but the film I, the film is not racist. The film presents some interesting ideas. Whether it all works or not, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it's limited somewhat by the budget, perhaps, although seven million isn't, seven isn't a million lot. Seven million was a lot. 
It's not Can a low. It's, it's not a low budget, but I think there's something there about you, you could tell that it perhaps wasn't within the system, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know how they had six dogs? Was the, the yeah, they did. Dog. Yeah, they had six I didn't dogs. realize they were that coming up, but they'd found like an albino Alsatian. Apparently, it must be but at least six of them out there. Well, it's um, quite clever because I never, I never noticed the difference between the dogs. Yeah. I, was exactly just, I was mostly just, I was mostly just staring at the teeth. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's yeah. Like, but uh, but yeah, the um, I mean, yeah, that was seamlessly done. I did again. This is <laughs> this is a random thought. I wondered, did they have trouble? In training the dog, given he mostly attacks black actors, did they, oh, yeah. did, well, did they, they accidentally created six white dogs by the end? Yeah. <laughs> no animals were harmed in the making of the production, and yeah. fortunately, they've all become a bit racist. Yeah. Yeah. No animals were harmed, but seven black men were. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. I mean, that I mean that may have been one of the contentions of the film uh, in, in terms of the report that came back. We're only seeing what was on screen. We didn't see what was going on behind screen, but I can't imagine it would be anything like that. But yeah, it's, it's bonkers. So, I mean, it's it's also a film. I mean, it's also a film that um, it's in that tradition that that straddles kind of exploitation, horror, and thriller. I'm not yeah, quite sure what it is because there's certainly horrific elements to it, but I wouldn't call it a horror film per se. Although it has been called a horror film, I think it's much more of a, a it's a horrific thriller in some ways. Yes, um, probably probably all that's. I mean, I mean, we can break this down. It's yeah. it is a bit of everything, but it, it's quite neatly divided, really, because if let's say the 40 minute point before um kind of julie decides to do something about it it's essentially a horror movie so the dog yeah. is it's, it's like a, yeah. a, you know a kind it's dog like has Cujo, been brought into your isn't house. It? It exactly like exactly yeah. like the kind yeah. dog has been brought into the house but it's evil because it, it's it once once it it's, once it shows how dangerous it is and then get, escapes to stalk because when, yeah. when he kills the truck driver it is a it's, it's completely horror trips it's very like the dog is stalking and, and he's looking for his prey and it's shot in the horror mode it and is. in fact a little bit later when he's escaped the compound for the second time there is Same a scene actually stuck with yeah. it. Not, yeah. it's the fact that the dog is rooting around the, in the garbage cans and a small child yes. who's also black is outside yes. playing and there's this moment when the, the child goes inside just as the dog turns the corner and that's like oh my god you yeah yeah because you and, think surely they're not going to go down this road yeah but it's surely so close you, you, it is you, so close yeah it's, you're it's, right it's, yeah. It's, it's, it, but it's that kind of horror element but that's that's a bit of a rarity and i suppose actually the way he track when he tracks the man down and kills him in the church in a way that doesn't feel like horror to me because it was yeah. it was so inevitable yeah it was yeah. it felt it, well, it the, wasn't yeah, it wasn't way it was supposed framed, to be yeah. tense inducing yeah. it was to make a point wasn't it yeah it was so the way it was framed was more down what i thought of the second half film which was more like social commentary yes um, very which, much is, so. which is where that flips because that was that that attack was very much in the social commentary and everything keys is trying to do and everything he talks about the dog yeah. and everything julie learns about it is very much in the social commentary side and then becomes the challenge of uh can the dog be deprogrammed yeah. um is it worth doing is yeah. it worth what we're doing do it for it yeah and what, what you've described is why i think the film is better than say a film like cujo right where where if, if it was if this film and i think when you when you hear what the film is you think right well this is going to be a film about a dog that attacks black people right and it, it kind of <laughs> i mean it is about that but you know, actually, I, I, I remember that... i read I, I read the synopsis when you talked about it last week and it was like yeah an, an actress adopts a dog not realizing it's been trained to attack black people and i thought there's two words after that that could make it a very different film and that would be hilarity ensues <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I just had this vision of like this yeah. Hollywood actress with like this little snappy dog on a lead and it's just <laughs> leaping at all these and she's like, I don't understand what's happening. It's directed by Mel Brooks, perhaps. Yeah, or but it's like not that. that type of film. No, it isn't. But also it's also not a film, it's not a slasher or a stalker film either. Yeah. yeah. Which is what Cujo is to a certain extent. It's just a dog that attacks people, right? Oh, okay, fine. That's fine to a certain extent, but it doesn't 
that's that it's a that that's all it is then whereas this this uh, as you say about the 40 minute mark it changes into something slightly more interesting um it's not to say that the first 40 minutes of the film isn't interesting it sets the scene and i think it sets the scene quite well and you get to know the dog and you get to know the situation but if it then if that's all it was i probably would have turned it off to be honest because i don't think it wasn't good enough to be that um when this when keys is introduced and the idea of the reconditioning rehabilitation of the dog is is introduced and the the tension between the Carruthers character, which is the dog should be shot because you can't retrain this, and the Keys character, which is I can retrain this dog, so I'm going to do it, I think is an interesting counterpoint to each other. And this is what I mean by the director's viewpoint, because at the end, the dog adheres to Carruthers' view, and to a certain extent, what Keys has been saying, that he may not have actually cured the dog. Yeah. And I think it's actually saying from the director's point of view, racism right in, inherently is not something that can be deprogrammed it's something that is inherent and so therefore needs to be dealt with now that's quite a controversial view well, um, well, well, how do you, this is the thing though is why the fact that he attacks a white man though because that's his last victim he attacks Carruthers who's white not Keys well and this is where yeah and, and so I was going to go on to that actually because I, I think that, that that poses another problem as well in the sense that you can de you can perhaps deprogram the dog as a metaphor for society or people to stop to, to, to stop the kind of principle of what racism means. But that doesn't mean to say that you've got rid of the underlying circumstances or the hatred. You've not made it safe. You've not made it safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's exactly right. And what we what we might be seeing in today's age is a situation where I mean, maybe not now, perhaps where it's more overtly racist, but where actually, you know, the lived experience of black men and women might not seem as overtly dangerous as it did in the 60s and 70s but it's still dangerous yeah it's still dangerous and um that that's what i bought to that whether that is right or not i don't know because it is it is true that he attacks carruthers who is a white man but maybe that's the authority figure the person that actually decided that that was going to be the case i don't know but um so so when i talk about watching films where directors put their views on screen that's what i mean there was a, a kind of like a, a metaphorical argument being made through film right the film is a metaphor writ large which is can people be reprogrammed from racist or hate hate-filled ideology or can they not be yeah. and if, whatever <clears throat> side you fall on means you do different things you either rehabilitate or you kill and I suppose if you take that to its extreme in the penal system, particularly in America, you either send you send people to prison or you rehabilitate them or you send them to the um, the the electric chair. Right. Yeah. And and it's not just that in extremes as well. So in other countries, in Scandinavian countries, you don't tend to send people to prison at all. You send them to rehabilitation centers because the, the acknowledgement is, is that you can rehabilitate people. So there's just different views of it. Samuel Fuller and I suppose to a certain extent Curtis Hansen believe that that is not possible. Evil is evil, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that that's quite an interesting point as well because I was reminded of watching um, something like The Exorcist when watching this film, in the sense that the dog goes for goes through a form of exorcism, um, in 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 the sense that he he is he is reprogrammed to get rid of the hatred in him. It's not quite succeeded in that context, and so therefore. Um, the evil is still in him, as it were. It might not be as explicit, but it's still in him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the where it fell for me is that it was kind of yeah, very 
there's sort of two ways it could have gone and it kind of straddled both of them and i i felt in that sense it didn't i didn't wasn't satisfied enough on either path the first mm. path is as a straight story without the metaphor let's just look yes. at the story yeah, yeah, about yeah, you have yeah, a dangerous yeah. animal that has been programmed and you need to deprogramming or reprogramming and and here's the process by which it is done and i was you know because we don't really know what keys is doing i keep in a sense he doesn't let's let's look back on a more personal best they talked a little bit about how you approach each event and how you have to you know when we yeah, were talking yeah. about how there yeah. could be more of that but if if keys had if, for example educated us the audience and say by extension julie um about here's what you need to do to an animal here's how you win the trust of an animal here's how you make sure he doesn't yeah. do it again you um, don't really and, see and, any of that do you no you, you see a no. very very small amount when he's like basically well, biting him a lot in a suit yeah you know, or but, he's but, feeding him a bum yeah <laughs> that can't be it is yeah. that it yeah. You've struggled but, all these years and all you needed to do was feed him a bum. Yeah. And, and even when they talk about how he was programmed in the first place, they said they just got him, they just got, you know, they hired a black man to beat him up when he was a puppy and that turned him. It's like, that's, there's, there must be more to it. There must be more yeah, to it, there must be, be more yeah, to it undoing yeah. it. And so that was, I mean, but, you know, so that was one story. But if that's not the point of the film, it's fine to skip that because the other side is the metaphor side, which yeah. is talking yeah. about, you know, is racism inherent? Can it, you know, if it is learned, can it be unlearned? Can yeah. you basically bring people back into society? In which case, it felt like it missed an opportunity to A, bring Julie more into the story and yeah. B, have the, the dog's trainer a bit more round, not rounded. But for example, the fact he appeared in the end seemed like just a payoff because you needed to see who the dog was and she yells at him but nothing's done with it really mm. um whereas let's say she met the dog's owner who'd come to claim him you know half, i'm rewriting the film again now halfway through yeah, and yeah. say say he was a younger man and she actually sat down realized entirely who he was but instead of yelling and throwing chocolates at him she would she would talk to him and in a sense she would try to do the same thing with him as keys is doing with the dog and you had that parallel story and that would be a bit on the nose but i was <laughs> with a way of yeah. looking at can can a human being be deprogrammed in the same way that the dog could be deprogrammed which is again like i say maybe on the nose for metaphor but it felt like the way it was dealt with was a bit more like here's a kind of man he looks nice but we know he's evil and she yells at him and that's that. <laughs> yeah. but that I, I, yeah I, I i don't disagree with you but there's something in that which is that if so this is samuel fuller's film and yeah. this is samuel fuller's view and yeah. this is this again this is where that contradiction comes in because it's it's him putting on screen no subtlety in, in the context of what the metaphor needs to say. And so I think if you'd had that scene, it would have gone counter to what Samuel Fuller was trying to do, which was basically a blunt tool, really, a blunt tool to identify the, the key extremes of what the metaphor needs to say. Um, I think that if you look at the first, it was, to counter that point somewhat, if you look at the first half of the film, the half where there is much more of Julie and her burgeoning relationship with the dog, for example, I think it is that half of the film which is perhaps doing what you're suggesting the trainer, uh, the, the dog trainer aspect might, might should or should have done. In, in that you're not seeing it from a human perspective, you're seeing it from the dog's perspective or the, the relationship between Julie and the dog. It's very melodramatic at the start, the first 40 minutes of the film is very melodramatic in the way that Julie gives the dog love and the way that the dog cuddles Julie and rubs against Julie, even if the dog is covered in blood. Right? Yeah. There are certain scenes where the dog is covered in blood, but Julie is cuddling is, you know, all, all this kind of stuff as well. And it's one of those. It's for me, it's for me, it's part of that. It's part of that concept where you were saying about how you could understand how the trainer came to do it. The dog to Julie is a hero is lovable is her dog 
but it's covered in blood. So she's blind to the fact that that what is actually happening is that he, he's a white dog, right? Um, yeah, I don't yeah. mean a literal white dog, I mean a metaphorical white dog. But the melodramatic nature of it and the, almost the overacting of both the dog, cleverly, and Julie exemplifies that, right? I think I think Samuel Fuller is is deliberately bludgeoning us with metaphor. I don't think there's any subtlety in the film at all. Now, I don't think that necessarily the film works because of that. Right. I think they come. I don't as 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 I as I think about it, the film was 90 minutes long. And I think really I got most of what I needed to get out of the film, probably in about an hour. An hour yes, again, yeah. right? You know, it doesn't it go. It doesn't need to go on as long as it does. But Fuller being Fuller is bludgeoning us with the metaphor. So I think there's a lot in it that it loses its it, weirdly it loses its impact on, you know, the fifth time that Keys gives it some some buns. Or when it's gone and attack another one, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work for that. I agree with you that I needed I wanted to see a little bit more of the process of de- deconditioning or reconditioning the dog. But again, I don't think that was Fuller's main aim. I don't think he cared about any of that. His his yeah. his, his care in the film wasn't characterization or yeah. or or synopsis or uh, even exposition to a certain extent. It was just this is what the metaphor is. And yeah. I'm going to ride this metaphor for 90 minutes. Yeah. But again, I felt, again, you're, you're right there. But perhaps, again, had we seen and heard Keyes go through his process more, we'd have seen more about his journey through it, which would have felt yeah. like more, more of a, with, you know, because at the moment he 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 has, he has a couple of kind of statements when he's doing it. But it's, it's um, you don't yeah. kind of see enough of the graft of, of where he's going with it. And, 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 kind and of, yeah. yeah. And in some respects, it might have been more powerful if we'd have seen that because, if if we had seen the process through which Keyes reconditions the dog yeah. in quite intimate detail, and it was you know it had authority, it was uh, it was psychologically consistent, there was a lot of detailed dog training involved, etc. And despite all of that, the dog still turned. Yeah, that I think would have been an incredibly powerful moment. As it is, you're kind of told. Just believe it. Just, yeah, Keyes has done this. Because, you know, the, the five weeks pass very quickly. And in that five weeks, the dog has escaped and killed a black man. Yeah. Right? So you can't really say that it's working. So, yeah. so at some point, at some point, the dog goes from being reconditioned to killing again, which is in the five weeks. So Keyes has less than five weeks from killing a man to curing him. This, so you don't really this, see it happening. Yeah, this this is the thing. It's, um, and <clears throat> what I was going to say is that... um. And here's a strange one, and again, this is because of the whole, you know, the the, the racism aspect of it. It's not just he's not just retraining an attack dog. Is that Keys the character is almost obliged to consistently hold the dog in contempt. Yeah. Um. He the, like the, there's no again it's just display the affection that Judy has. Um. And she's even when he's killed him, and she's she's never completely despising the dog, or she's fearful and this kind of stuff. But um, you'd think. You know, is the dog because the dog is essentially a tool that has mm. been programmed, like I say, programmed to do a terrible thing. Mm. But does that make the dog a victim? It's just like, yeah. and therefore, yeah. should they, should they, you know, be a bit nicer to the dog because they're trying to show him affection and trying to bring him back? They're not trying to punish the dog. Um, they're trying to show him that there is affection in humans and and to be nice to yeah. him. It's it's weird how. I think because of the nature of what the dog was trained to do, the characters aren't allowed to do that. They've got to kind of constantly show us and the audience that they, they disapprove of this sort of behavior. Yeah. And it, it's kind of counterintuitive as well, because Keyes is the character who believes that the dog can be reconditioned. It can be unlearned. And so yeah. therefore it is the <clears throat> victim, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so his, his, um, his, as you say, his kind of nature to the dog 
one of um, disgust, dismissal, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of it's it's not intuitive to what his beliefs are. Yeah, yeah. Right now, it 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 may be as you say because because of the nature of the dog and the nature of Keys, it has to be like that. But then, why is Keys so? Why isn't Keys like Carruthers? Why doesn't Keys believe just to shoot the dog then? If he's if he's in such contempt of the dog, yeah. And I don't mean I don't mean the training or or the concept of the of the metaphor, but he's in contempt of the dog, not what it stands for. It's the dog. So yeah. shoot the dog. Shoot well, I mean, it. Yeah, he the process. I suppose you could say, having broken him, he could just shoot the dog afterwards. Um, well, yeah, I suppose. But yeah, it, it is it is an interesting split there. Um, and I think a bit of inconsistency. Again, one of the reasons why I, made, oh yeah, I started inventing lots of subplots for Judy to yeah. have is that I felt, again, um, again the actress. Again, I had, I had to look who the actress because the name sounds Kirsty familiar. McNichol, but, but, yeah, yeah. I, I actually don't recall seeing her in much. I, 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 I recognise her name and her face, but I, I don't really. I, I got a confused with Peter McNichol. Um, oh, yeah. I can say. <laughs> two Peter, two McNichol films in I, one year. Um, and from what I can gather, she sort of had a very promising career uh, when she was young, but it kind of fizzled away through some kind of yeah. bad luck and bad choices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, I think I don't know. She's the dialogue isn't great, so she's not served well by it. But she seemed a bit overwhelmed by the role, and mm. she is very forgettable in it. When you consider she is essentially has to be the, the heart of the movie. Um, uh, yeah, she does. Yeah, for the first half of the film, particularly, you need to. You, what you need to do is believe that the dog, despite its horrendous um, character can be loved right yeah and that's her role is to do that and i think what what the film ends up doing is maybe maybe deliberately but if it is deliberate i don't think it's massively successful is is going overboard on it it, it go it moves into melodrama a lot and i think yeah. that the that as you say that the, the the dialogue isn't great and that's part of melodrama isn't it because the melod, melodramatically dialogue is is a bit arch and it's a bit to the point to get to the to get to the emotion i suppose but um I don't think the, I, you know, this isn't this isn't a slight on Christy McNichol. I, I, you know, I've, I've not seen her in any other films, but I don't think she carried it well enough to be truly believable. In some respects, I thought the dog emoted better. Yes, yes. <laughs> not not to be too harsh on Christy McNichol, but the dog acted better than her in this film. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's not to be too harsh. It is, of course, and again, the fact that the two other actors in the main role like kind of oh, big, very good big theatrical yeah. actors Paul Mills yeah. and Bill Lives are both very good and and have a real presence so you want to go back to them whenever there's a scene and when so in the second half of the film you're, you're almost wanting um Judy to get out of the way because she is essentially in the way now as um she is of, yeah she's a character you, you don't really need to see anymore uh, one of the prime examples of that is is the kind of dinner scene toward the end of the film where they're just where they're discussing the fact that um you know they know that they're doing something that's right but a man has died as a consequence of this she I don't think she really needs to be there <laughs> to be honest Again, again, unless she has a sort of a stake in <clears throat> in either being the moral voice for this or yeah. the defender of the dog or something, she's she's not really necessary. No, she she isn't, and um, which is which is which is unfortunate because she does need to be. She's there at the start of the film. She rescues the dog. Yeah, she does. Her she, dog. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for for, for a proper emotive heart of the film, she needs to be necessary. Yeah, and I wonder <clears throat> whether whether it might have been it might have been better to have had the dog found by keys i mean it wouldn't have been found by keys i suppose because it would have attacked him but <laughs> maybe found by carruthers or, or something like that instead yeah. and then bought bought to noah's ark 
and then no, the yeah. conditioning happened as a consequence. But no, again, I, th- I think again, both for the metaphor and the story, it does work to show that he is capable of love and affection. Yeah. And yeah. I think again, I think I think the dog was too vicious too soon. For one thing, I think um the only kill the dog should have made should have been um, the one when he escapes the compound because that's a real tipping point. It is, I mean, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes, to attack her actor's friend because that ignites them them in go to her realizing he's an attack dog but the again the horror element at the beginning when he attacks the guy in the truck mm. isn't really necessary i mean it doesn't at that point it doesn't tell you anything because yeah. the dog has attacked the the intruder yes. who is white yeah. and then attacks a truck driver who is black but so that's 50 50 right i mean <laughs> yeah it's just it's come across some people and has yeah. attacked them I mean, I don't um, even know if he needs I, to attack do, the, do, the intruder. They do get either. to the point. Sorry, they do get to the point of concluding that he's a white dog very quickly. It, you know, they basically they attack her friend. Oh, yeah. he's an attack dog. Oh, by the way, he's a white dog. Well, yeah, that seems a bit of a stretch. I mean, it's true, obviously, but that at that point seems a bit of a stretch. Yeah, well, I think it was the yeah, the unprovoked nature. But again, they say attack dogs can go crazy. Yeah, so the whole thing with the trucker. I mean, if if that's the thing, if the first half is a horror movie, that works because we see how dangerous he is, and then he's yeah. brought back yeah. into the fold. Yeah. But then, in fact, it flips and turns into a kind of a puzzle to solve. The whole thing was unnecessary, and it it takes away some of the edge because he's basically gone on a rampage now. He's killing lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if yeah. it had just been like we know he attacks. And we definitely know he has attacked and killed one person. And it's kind of our fault because we were supposed to keep him locked up. And it's kind of our fault because we're covering that up now. That becomes a huge deal that really drives the the need to cure him to make it worth something. Yeah. The need to cure him pretty damn quickly because this could happen again. Yeah. Um, and I think I just, and the fact that no one was saying that and the fact that we as an audience knew he'd killed already. So there's already blood on his paws. Um, it, it took a bit of edge off it. It did. You're right, actually, because nobody in the film knew about the truck driver. No. All the way through the film, they didn't know. And they didn't. For, yeah, they for, for all yeah. they knew, he may have been trained to attack black people. They don't know he's killed anyone. They think yeah, they they, all they yeah. know is he's killed one person. Yeah. And so yeah, the other point. Yeah. yeah. So that was it. Yeah. Um, and which was like they had to get it scary first. But as you say, this, the, it, it goes from horror into something else. Which is, it's kind of the genre shift. It is. It is. Yeah. And. Um, I, I think I think the second half of the film works better than the first half of the film, but yes, I think definitely. that there are elements in the first half of the film which are necessary for the second half of the film to make sense. The problem is, is that those elements kind of hold down the film a little bit. They're necessary, but they hold the film down, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's, um, because you you just need a big dollop of normal. I mean, yeah. to, to, yeah. to, to get to the Admiral bit, but the yeah. novel's not that interesting. I mean, even no, the fact that he attacked, he attacked the, the guy who tried to, again, um, attack and rape Julie in her house uh, is, um, you know, it's, you could have cut, you could have cut that because you, you don't need to know that the dog, no. yeah, you don't need to know how, because it doesn't really add anything. And in fact, the dog's very useful, but she doesn't love the dog because he can protect her. She loves the dog because no. she loves the dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she loves the dog. Yeah, you don't need that. You didn't need that scene. In, in some respect, it confuses matters a little bit because, you, it doesn't. It, that doesn't te- well, that well, also that doesn't tell you that it's an attack dog necessarily. That, that at all. I mean, yeah. if, if dogs dogs regularly are known to attack intruders in houses because they're protective of the house. I mean, they're an attack dog, right? Yeah. They're just they're just protective. Yeah. Um, that's what kind of that's why you have a dog often, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> you have a big dog. Big dogs don't exist other than to protect houses and people. Oh no, big dogs exist because dog owners are mad. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, there's that too. <laughs> there's that too. But, uh, I but yeah, in terms of behavioural evolution, oh, I dogs see. must have existed at some point. And so they exist now, right? Because of yeah. that very reason. It, and yeah, it's um, yeah, it's but it, but yeah, you're right. It it shouldn't be there. But take it away, and you've got a very boring first forty minutes. Well, yeah, you do, and that's, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. You take that away, and you take the the truck driver away. What have you got? You've got a you've you've effectively got a, almost a romantic melodrama between a dog and a woman. Yeah. And it's just it's like what? And then it would take a long time to build up to the point where she needs to go. Yeah. To Noah's Ark, and it would be the attack on. It would be the attack on her friend. But at that point, if neither of those two things had happened, which by the way she doesn't know about anyway. Yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't put two and two together. So yeah, it's it's a very it's a very so it's not supposed to be the way the films are directed. It's it's the, no. it's the plot is is problematic. It's because... the, I think it's the structure of the way that the yeah. plot the plot is presented to you. Yeah, I, I think you could you could build you could better build a forty minute opening sequence which could still set the scene without being boring, but would make the second half of the film more propulsive. I think what I you think. need to do is you show Noah's Ark a lot earlier on and you need yeah. to see Keyes working with other animals, yeah, yeah, knowing, that, yeah. knowing that he's a bit of a guru with animals and he can break any animal, this kind of stuff. Because yeah. we see him, I think he's he's flinging a leopard around the, the yeah, ring is, to start yeah. with. Yeah, 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 um, so yeah. he's really good at it. And the, they again, Corellis could even say something like, you know, they could make mention of his special project or whatever. And we don't know what it is, but we know whatever we want. You know, it really matters to him, this kind of stuff. Yeah, and exactly. Then, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's where you get your animal fun and games from. And you, you know think, what, that... That's a great idea because um, I, I can see an opening sequence of uh, of a keys trying and failing to cure and re- recondition a previous white dog. Opening scene: Key shoots a dog, and you think yeah. you, don't, you don't know why. You don't know why. Yeah, exactly. So, and it, 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 I mentioned it earlier, but that that reminds me of the opening sequence of The Exorcist as well, where you've got Max von Sydow in Iraq finding finding an amulet or a, a, a sacred. Um, kind of a um pendant and the 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 demon god pat zuzu is in kind of statue form behind him and then it cuts to um uh you know uh, america and it cuts to georgetown you know that kind of stuff and you think oh wow uh what was that about i don't understand anything about that but it set the scene and it unnerves you and yeah. having keys right at the start no context yeah shooting a dog a white dog or something like that would have been would have would have really set this in because then throughout all of those early early scenes of romance and melodrama in the back of your head you're thinking ah, this is this isn't going to end well <laughs> yeah you're thinking well, why why is a character we don't know shooting a dog yeah, and it's unnerving yeah there you go we've uh, where, where were we in 1982 we could have done this <laughs> i was i was four certainly not watching <laughs> white dog anyway <laughs> um is there until six for that yeah yeah but, yeah but don't get me wrong. I think the film has its virtues. I think it's I think it's a decent film. I think it does what it sets out to do reasonably well. I think that it's filmed well, and I think that it has some cracking cinematography and camera work and dog training. So and music and, uh... and music as well. Yeah, that music is very melancholy, very um, very sad actually, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it feels kind of counterintuitive, but it's a very sad um, uh, score by Morricone. Um, any other thoughts from you, Hugh? Um, no, I don't think so. I kind of picked the bones of that one. Um, I think the, the thing we tend to is similar films, but again, all yeah. I can think of is Cujo. Yeah, Cujo. So I've got, I've got a few, but I, I went, so I thought of Cujo as well. 
because it's, it's what you would, right? But um, I, I went, I, I, what I tried to do was think about films that were films as pure metaphor. Okay. So films that meant nothing in and of themselves other than to tell the story of the metaphor. And the, the, two, I, the two I can think of, the first one is, I mentioned it's The Exorcist. I think that's a film which is pure metaphor. It's about, it's about how God and evil fight over human souls, right? It's about religion in that context yeah. and what that means for people. The other one I had, both horror films actually, but the other one I had was Dawn of the Dead which ah. is a George A. Ramirez film about the zombies that are in the um, shopping centre. And that it's fundamentally about the fact that people are, are dulled into mindless commercialism and capitalism and stuff like that. So it wasn't a, it's a film that is about zombies, but is, has nothing to do with zombies. Yeah, right? I mean, Night of, the, Night of the Living Dead is a similar one as well. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The two of the deads are quite good, good for that kind of metaphor. Night of the Living Dead is, is another prime example of a film which is all metaphor, right? Yes. And that's probably more relevant to white dog in the film in the sense that that's about civil rights and racism yes so why why didn't i think of night of the living dead? so there you go white dog is a good companion film to night of the living dead actually yeah yeah very good right well, there so, we are. so i think we... I, I i think i'm gonna go out on a limb here i had i had strong feelings that you might have given this one disembodied crombie head i don't think you will well, yeah. um which pleases me if that is true, but we Don't shall see. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, we shall see. I don't think that this is um, Phantom of the Paradise no. levels of hatred, but we shall see. <laughs> well, <laughs> we shall see. Join us after the jingle when we shall find yeah. out the scores on the door and what we'll be watching next month. It's indeed. How exciting. Welcome back, dear listener, as we give you an affectionate scruffle behind the ears and possibly a piece of dried hamburger. Um, <laughs> as we go into the final day of, uh, of our episode uh, about White Dog, when we shall give it the scores. And as tradition dictates, I believe James I, is going I first. Guess now, if, if we are talking in metaphors, nothing nothing, sa- nothing says Weekend at Crumb is better than a slab of dried hamburger. <laughs> there we go. Um so, yeah, White Dog is a film that I uh, wanted to see for a long time. Um, it ticks a lot of my boxes. And I think because it ticks a lot of my boxes, I'm probably more forgiving of some of its flaws. And I think those flaws are quite significant. I think that the two halves of the film um, are kind of at odds with each other, with the second half being much stronger as the main thrust of the message comes through. But without the first half of the film, I don't think the second half of the film really works and that's a problem because you need to separate the two for it to make it work better. So I think there's something fundamentally wrong with the structure of the plot in the film. Having said that, I think as metaphor, it works quite well. And I think you certainly get a good sense of what Samuel Fuller was trying to put on screen. And um, I think because of that, I'm going to give it perhaps a generous, but nevertheless, a three disembodied Crombie head score. Oh, interesting. Mm. Well, Again, I, I tend to come at films from the story point of view. And as you've mentioned, these, well, again, the, the, the story structure is flawed. But the, yeah. again, the story points are interesting. Mm. Um, and again, I don't really like horror. Um, so so I, wasn't exp- <laughs> I, was, I was expecting to watch most of this behind the sofa. But as I watched it and I was getting into it, I was, I was, I was into it. I, you mm. know, it, it, I don't think I'd watch it again. And it's... Um, and I, I couldn't, you know, wholly say I enjoyed every minute of it, but I did want to get through it. I did want to, I did want more of it to, to you know, I did want it to, to get to its, 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 its conclusion. Um, 
and it's it's well shot. It's it's some some good actors in it. It's got ideas in it, real ideas that it's trying to get across, yeah. which I think is is worthy doing. So I think um for all its failings, I think it's just pushed itself up into a three crumbie heads for me as well. Oh, there we go. I think oh, it's, I, I think it's yeah. a film that 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 had a good go at it, and it really did, and um and hit a lot of the targets it hit, and then it, it yeah it was not in any way um yeah it was a film that went for it. I think I think that's I think that's right actually. You what you described there is a film that had a lot of ideas in it, and you know a film that has ideas and fails is still a noble effort, I guess in some yeah, respects, yeah. right? Better better to have ideas and fail than be a dumb success, in my yeah. in my view. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of films we've really really disliked, whether they're, again possibly outside of Crombies, but they've yeah. generally been films where they've kind of phoned it in, or we we think they just haven't tried hard enough, and it didn't seem like anyone in this film wasn't trying i mean there's, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of effort put in uh, if not there's for the animals to be trained but again yeah, the, act, yeah. the actors are committing to it yeah. and and the again the director and again it's like a torrid time getting it made um and again it's it's not a film you think well this is going to blow away having queuing up around the block it's mm. you even when you're filming you've got to know you're creating something that's going to be incendiary or it's, it's going to yeah you're not creating a, a massive hit anyway because you know people are just no, gonna not going to see it or not want to be challenged yeah. by it. So this is a, this is a deliberately provocative film, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's intended to be provocative. It's political, um, and because of that, it was never going to be a success. Now, uh, did it deserve the um, the backlash that it got? No, I don't understand it. But I'm you know I'm I don't have the lived experience of being a black african-american civil rights um uh, kind of uh, uh, person in 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 the 60s 70s and 80s but i can't see how this film is is racist it's the opposite almost is it is it you know whatever it is no way racist if anything if you get any claim on it it's um you know written and directed by white men and therefore yeah. And therefore is heavy handed or, or not truly understanding. Yeah. So it, it might come from that angle. I don't think it comes from a bad place in terms of where it's coming from. I think um, I think it's just provocative, isn't it? That's what it is. It's just provocative. And I don't I think, think I don't think there are easy answers. That it asks yeah. difficult questions, right? Yeah. And in fact, the fact that the, the protagonist again is Julie, who's white, who basically spends a lot of time saying. Well, that can't be true, can it? She, she just does <laughs> yeah. the black characters. You can't get dogs to attack yeah. black. And the black yeah. characters going, yes, you can. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, th- there's his own provocation, is that yeah. you know, a lot of white audiences will go, well, this can't happen. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, it's, that in itself is its own provocation, the fact that it's just, it's it's there putting out there saying, yes, you know, random and undeserved violence can happen to people because of the colour of their skin. And whether you choose to believe it or not, it will just explode yeah. and happen. I mean, it's it's as provocative as say bamboozled is. Yeah, it? you know, it's 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 that kind of film. It's never going to be successful. Um, but but the fact that it was castigated and then shunned and wasn't seen for years and years. No, it was it sealed was, and concrete and dumped yeah. is not is not on that. Would it? Yeah, it, it, it should its, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, there we are. Um, a, a very good debate. Um, but now we obviously get onto the bit that's that's the most important part of a weekend of comedy <laughs> film uh, podcast. The end. But also. <laughs> where we discover what the next film will be august's film i'm excited i always enjoy hugh's reveal um (laughs) okay uh, uh, no in this heat his reveal should be extensive okay well (laughs) i don't know where i was going with that That doesn't even make sense (laughs) my extensive reveal um maybe a film you've heard of um i'm I'm sure it is star wars 
Well, you know what? Funny you should mention that. The film we watched in August is Willow. Oh, oh Willow. <laughs> Cheeky bastard. <laughs> Willow. If if ever a film, if ever Weekend at Commerce was made for a film, it's Willow. I don't even think we need to watch it. I think we could just go off on it now, couldn't we? Well, I look forward to watching Willow for the 900th time. <laughs> I think that says a lot more about our film, um, our film loves than anything else, doesn't it? Because Willow, Willow is a staple in my burgeoning um, fantasy science fiction type of Absolutely. oeuvre. Absolutely. So this is from my, my checklist of films, independent of your Dragon Slayer, but we really are hitting the 80s fantasy. We films, are at the moment, yeah. I'm just waiting for Kral to come on. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> for next year. Um, but yeah. uh, that said, um, and with that, we will uh, close the kennel, uh, <laughs> scoop <laughs> Sweet boy, the human remains, <laughs> and uh, and wish you a uh, a very cooler and uh, and more temperate weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. Well, I watched I watched the uh, the the um, the Temple of Doom in the cinema. So whenever that came out, I was like oh, six. Yes, see, that, that's terrifying. Like that. In that, the guy gets his heart ripped out. Yeah. Because of course there was there was no there was no family entertainment. There was no like Pokemon the movie. No. So your best no. bet was sit down there and close your eyes when it gets scary. 